Hey everyone, welcome back. It's your host, John Clark, and I'm excited to introduce my guest. It's Mark Hirschberg. He's the author of The Career Toolkit and creator of the Brain Bump app. He spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. Uh, Mark helped create the Undergraduate practicum, uh, Practice Opportunities Program, uh, MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he has taught for 20 years. Um, Mark, thanks so much for being here. I guess, what else should people know in terms of who you are and even more so, like, what what are you up to these days? You've clearly had a varied career. And um, yeah, what are you passionate about these days? Well, we've touched upon some of my background. There's other maybe less relevant parts. But these days, I'm doing a few different things. I primarily build tech startup companies. That's what I like doing. But as you noted, for 20 years, I've been teaching at MIT. And what we recognized is there are skills we all need. Leadership, networking, negotiating, communicating. No one actually teaches them to us. Yeah. This was a shortage we saw. And it's not just for MIT students, not just for engineers. It's universal. We put together that class. And more recently, I said, I want to reach more than just MIT students. So I put together my book, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success that No One Taught You. And in marketing that book, I realized people read books, listen to podcasts, but you don't always remember it. And that led to my Brain Bump app. So I'm focused on those three things, my tech startups, the Brain Bump app, and my book. You, you know, everyone listening is an entrepreneur and you have a, a high degree of entrepreneurship, you know, happening in your life and just in your, your personality. And so um, I'm really curious how you stay organized and better yet stay focused, especially when you have, you know, pieces of your work that at least at, at first glance, maybe not, maybe don't overlap, right? Or there, is it a lot of switching gears in your world? It's a great question. There is, and I get lots of context switches, which your audience especially right. understands when I go from building this startup or trying to think about marketing that to now I have a technical problem here and now I have a hiring problem here. Yeah. And it is a lot of switching up. Once you get over that hump, it doesn't go away, but you, you learn to deal with it. There are some advantages that you do get by working in different disciplines. You can find ways to link them. And those ways often are not mined by other people. So you're treading new ground and that leads to new opportunities that you can capitalize on before others. Yeah, I mentioned before the show, and you know, in our case, therapists are often wearing many hats in the practice. I, I met with one of my consulting clients this morning who, you know, a typical day, she might see a therapy client in the morning and then do a, a neuropsych assessment and then meet with her marketing manager and then, you know, do an interview for a new clinician. And, and one of an opinion I have is that that switching of gears can be really fatiguing, you know, and really difficult to, um, to make that many pivots in a single day. I mean, do, do you have ideas for that or tips for that in ways that, that, that therapists can think about how to you know, manage themselves? It comes down to different types of work that we do. And if you think about what you focus on when you're doing a psych evaluation, you need to be focused. Now, you're probably not getting distracted. You're not checking your email, certainly. That'd be unprofessional. Yeah. But you're focused. And right after, you're probably writing up your notes. Yeah. And that may be a deep dive type of task. 
if you have a meeting once a quarter with your financial advisor or your marketing strategist, that's right. Let's let's think big picture and let's get into things. Maybe we even get into the minutia and talk about how this impacts that. And you're very focused. That's different than all the things that nag at our attention. I got to respond to this email. I got a text message. I got to return a call. Oh, I got to go pick up my car. Those things each, of course, have the tax, have the tax of that context switch. So what I recommend is trying to bundle them. And this, by the way, uh, was popularized, mm -hmm. although not invented by uh, the four-hour work week, which talked mm -hmm. about getting focused times. Within my companies, I'll even do things like we're going to have a quiet period. And during these few hours, there are no meetings. You are not expected to respond to emails. Yeah. You focus on work short of some crisis. Yeah. Yeah. We, we read um, Deep Work by Cal Newport, you know, um, in one of our mastermind groups. And I think that is a really wonderful resource for just this idea that the more busy we get, the more our work, you know, lacks depth. Or even that, you know, he uses the example of a college professor as an example who has to wear so many hats between teaching and, uh, you know, staff meetings and office hours for students. And by the way, you also have to publish research somehow, you know, uh, uh, to, to get tenure and, and all these things. And what happens is the more spread out you are, the, 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 the less deep you go, right? And in order to achieve some depth, well, it's why professors get sabbaticals if they're lucky, right? You know, after five years, finally, you get, you know, a chunk of time to go do the work that you want to do and that you're intended to do, right? And go deep with it. But in our case, you know, we don't always have that luxury. And so we have to find ways to go deep with, with what we have and just in a modern, crazy schedule that many of us are in, right? It's okay to block off chunks of time take that Thursday afternoon and say, for these three hours, no meetings, no emails, focus on my research, yeah. focus on my strategy. But again, I'd say, even though we pay that penalty, as you develop your creativity skills, and I've intentionally worked on trying to get more creative because I wasn't earlier, you can start to see patterns in one domain and apply them to the other. And so even though I'm working on a different type of problem or need, Mm. That can help inform how I'm solving a different problem, especially mm. using, I'm forgetting the technique, um, the, there's like the active brain and passive brain. Mm. I know there's much fairer terms for this. And so your passive brain still working in the background on those problems. Yeah, we, you know, we think about that a lot because, um, uh, you know, for, for myself, um, I make a lot of big decisions when I'm surfing. I live in California. I surf a lot. I was surfing this morning and yesterday and I made a big decision. I got clarity on something that I have been working really hard on, but had been hitting a wall with. And I wasn't even thinking about it while I was surfing, right? My unconscious was working on it. And as I was surfing, it just hit me and it just happened naturally. And I got clarity on something and made a big decision. I, that happens to me all the time. And, you know, it's funny because my, my wife, um, you know, she works in tech. We live in, in Silicon Valley. She works in tech. And so a lot of times companies care that you're in the seat, right? Or being in the seat and at meetings is uh, how the obvious way to measure some degree of productivity or being busy, quote unquote. And in my case, you know, adding value to my company or to my team or to the, to, to the direction of the company might happen in those moments like surfing and getting clarity on the vision of the company where we're heading right and then coming back and communicating that to the team um so it also goes back to like how do you define your role right as a as a 
a business owner, as a leader, um, whatever it is, even as an academic, right? Like how do you go deeper and, you know, make space for those, those kind of aha moments, right? What you experience is not uncommon. I'm remembering the terms now mm -hmm. in the Coursera class, learning how to learn. They talk about the focus mind and the diffuse mind. Mm -hmm. Engineers all know we get our best ideas in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. For me, it's when I shower because showering, yeah. it's, it's this, I turn my mind off. And in fact, I've even tried sometimes, say, okay, I need to really just kind of get that dif diffuse focus. Yeah. I will actually pretend to shower. I will be in my clothes oh, and sit funny. there and go through the motions of, okay, imagine I'm taking a shower. My yeah. mind kind of relaxes and boom, the idea comes to me. Yeah. In fact, I'll share an anecdote at MIT where I went to school there was an alum who actually wanted to fund not a building, not a professorship, but a bathroom. He wanted to give money and get his name on a bathroom because he said the bathroom is where he got his best ideas. That's hilarious. So this yeah. is a very, MIT turned him down, but this is a very common mode is when you're doing something almost mindless where it's more physical, yeah. that's where we get those ideas. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. And obviously as a therapist, you know, the power of the unconscious is, is, is massive. Um, we can get people into that state of flow or even call it trance, you know, in many, but through many avenues. Um, I was also trained in clinical hypnosis where the idea is you get so deeply relaxed and in that trance state that the door to your unconscious opens and there we can, you know, change habits or behaviors. People can quit smoking. Um, or, you know, sometimes if we're doing hypnosis for the sake of getting clarity on something or finding emotional resolution about something, you can use hypnosis for that too. Um, you know, my own, one of my own mentors from, from graduate school, when I was dealing with a problem that just wouldn't, it wouldn't budge. Um, you know, I think it's like a relationship problem that was happening. His, he's the one that told me to just hold it loosely in your mind and then start running. Cause I'm, I'm also a runner. And, um, I remember that that, that worked, right. It, it, it let my, my, my busy conscious mind kind of get out of the way. Um, and, and again, like it, when you think about the role of the business owner or the role of a, of a leader in the business, like what is your primary task, right? It's to get, get clarity, create that work on the vision, cast the vision, you know, communicate that to your team. And something you need to keep in mind, especially because many of the listeners are small practitioners. Yeah. So often we think of creating value by doing, I booked another client. I saw right. a client. I do these things. And we have to always ask ourselves, what's the ROI? Now, probably you don't have many other people who can see a patient instead of you. But yeah. if you can outsource to, let's say, your social media manager, okay, great, you're going to get mm -hmm. better ROI. But then there's a question of how much overhead is there when you do this? Mm -hmm. And the overhead comes in many forms. It comes in, you still have to learn enough to be able to, supervise in a meaningful yep. way and For it's sure. not about necessarily trust it's about can you even ask the right questions yeah there is sourcing the right person there is building that relationship there is monitoring and this is about trust and that all has a certain cost with it mm -hmm. and at what point do you say you know probably it's just it's easier to do it myself yeah the there's a famous saying among coaches which is if you don't know how to sell yourself you can't hire someone to do it for you. Yeah. You have to know how to solve the problem and then you hire someone to do it, to just automate that task. And it's important mm -hmm. to know which side of that question you're on. 
it's a constant dilemma for for a lot of small business owners. And the reality is a lot of us start off doing all the things ourselves um, by necessity, right? When we have the business is generating zero dollars, right? Um, whether it's your bookkeeping or your marketing or what it, whatever it is. And I think it's important to also just know, you know, how long a task takes, um, what goes into it, how valuable it is to you, right? What it's worth financially to you. Um, and then you can, like you said, kind of outsource it and, um, and supervise it. Um, I, I'm really curious also, you know, going back to your, your app, the brain bump app, can you fill us in on, on what that is exactly and, and how it works? Sure. I wrote my book, The Career Toolkit, and it has a number of different chapters, chapters on management, leadership, networking, mm -hmm. negotiating. And one of the things that I know happens to me is I read a book, I say, well, these are great ideas, and then I forget them. Mm -hmm. Because where you read an idea is not always where you need an idea. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help my readers and my students who I teach remember what they're learning. Mm -hmm. And I thought a lot about what works. We know there is one proven technique called spaced repetition. Mm. The problem is we don't do that. I actually take notes on the books I read, but I never go back and look at them. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a test, who's doing that? So I thought a lot about what would make this useful. And what we came up with is an app. So I created first one for my book, and then we mm. generalized it, BrainBump. BrainBump takes content from books, blogs, podcasts, talks, and classes, and we're constantly adding new material to it. When you open the app, you select a particular book or podcast or blog, you get all the tips from that piece of content. So for my book, you'd get close to 400 tips from the book. These are things, if you read the book, you'd highlight these ideas. You can then use it in one of two ways. Either you say, oh, I'm about to walk into that conference room. What were all those networking tips? Mm open up the app, pull up the tips, use them in a just-in-time manner, right? So they're top of mind. Mm. The other way is you say, I'm a new manager and there's so many things I have to remember and I'm so busy. I'm not going to remember to like flip through right before every conversation I have. So you set it so you get a push notification once a day, let's say at 9 a.m. as you start your day. And it just has one of those tips. It just pops up. You don't even have to open the app. You look, I say, all right, good idea. Swipe it away and you're done. And by taking just two seconds a day to see a tip, you constantly get reminded and it builds up that memory in your head mm -hmm. and ready for you to use. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I think something that happened to me early on is once I, you know, I had been studying nothing but psychotherapy for years and years through grad school and um, was so deep in that learning that I then had to become a business owner, right? And so I started on this path of teaching myself business stuff and consuming a crazy amount of business podcasts and business books and all this stuff. And then um, I got kind of like information bloated, right? I just had more than I could implement. And I learned a ton, um, but I was just kind of like frozen by all of it and almost like taking in too much um, content, new information. Um, and, it, and I had to go on almost like, like a year of information diet to stop reading business books and stuff like that until I could implement some of these concepts, right? So it started to really diffuse, you know, um, the any effectiveness at all of being able to, to, to try a concept or even when you think about how people learn, a lot of people learn by by doing, right? Or by, you know, learn, let me show you how to do it and then you do it. Whereas a lot of times in business, it's like, um, 
learn theoretically about a task or about how to hire someone or how to ha- you know give feedback and then four months later you're like oh crap i'm about to give feedback you know <laughs> how do i do it so yeah. one of the things i did in my book i mentioned this because i'm sure there are lots of people listening who may someday do their own books now my book 10 chapters 10 skills and i wrote it each chapter stands alone at the start i said look if you wake up january 1st you don't say, I'm going to quit smoking and eat better and wake up early and go to the gym and try to do all that stuff. We know that is a recipe for failure. Instead, you focus just on quitting smoking. You build up that habit. You focus on one thing. And so I advise the readers of my book, focus on that one skill set. In each chapter, we have concrete things you can do. We have next steps now that you've done with the chapter. And so for those writing some type of self-help book, yeah. I'd recommend at the end of each kind of idea, probably a chapter, be very concrete, let it be a stopping point, have them do things to go from just thinking about it to, as you say, building that habit. Yeah. And we have the same thing in the app where you can say, I just want a subset of what I get in the book. I just want to focus on negotiating skills and nothing mm-hmm. else. And you'll just see that content because we do know you have to focus to really build up that muscle memory. And there's a a great degree of scaffolding as well that's kind of happening there too, right? And building on knowledge and thinking about how do people learn in the first place, right? Or, you know, something interesting that that happens as a therapist is similar to driving a car or early on, you know, being a therapist, it's very mentally taxing, not necessarily because the material and the content is emotionally intense, which it can be, but because your brain is doing two things. It's you have to be extremely present and a, and a better listener than anyone in your client's life, right? And at the same time, you are conceptualizing what's going on with this client. What is their real issue, right? Um, how do I understand their issues? Where do we go next, right? Uh, you're managing the the session. You're managing the pacing. All these things are happening. And so early on, that that kind of um, your, your your brain is working in those two kind of lanes it becomes natural over time to where you can you can be fully present and kind of conceptualize in that moment and that it just happens more automatically right just like driving a car in my case driving a stick shift right and and um but early on it's really taxing and it's really laborious to both be really present and be conceptualizing on the fly that's a really interesting way to phrase it and we have the same issue in other aspects of business There's a professor I worked with who always said, the customer isn't always right, but the customer has a point. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to someone else, it might be a customer or potential customer. It might be a colleague or coworker. They're making some point. They're saying something, we need to do this. And you should pay attention to what is they're saying so you can respond to it. But you should also, the better managers and leaders out there are asking, what are they really trying to do? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to get to here? And this is a technique that comes from particularly negotiating because instead of just saying, you know, I want a wall. Well, I don't want you to have a wall. I want a wall. I don't want you to have a wall. Okay, let's talk about why one side wants the wall, why one side doesn't. Let's get to the underlying issue. And so the best leaders and managers are in that conversation paying attention, Mm -hmm. but have that secondary process going that you're mentioning saying, let me step back and get to the root issue and see maybe this is the direct way or maybe there's a different path there. It, it, it's really interesting because, uh, you know, my, my, I've mentioned my wife works in tech and 
it's funny because the more the higher you go in a company, especially in like a tech company, let's say you start off being an engineer and you're really good at your craft and you're writing code for 10 hours a day, right? And then you get really good at that. So you get promoted and you're managing a group of engineers and then you're managing a whole department. And then you're so removed from that work or your craft that now you are in this position again of conceptualizing really big picture, what needs to happen with the products, right? And then communicating that with with a team or managing issues as they come up and it becomes a whole different job. I see a lot of people go through this and some for better or for worse, sometimes they end up hating it. So like, I just want to do what I'm great at, which is write code. Other times people rise up through companies because they're really good at, first of all, being political and, you know, being likable and being a problem solver and, and, you know, saying the right thing at the right time and, you know, being easy to work with. But there's that piece too of seeing the big picture and managing it and, keeping the needle moving forward ultimately to grow the business um in, in our case you know let's say for, for our therapists listening um and by the way for folks here live feel free to ask questions uh, we got about 10 minutes left or so here with mark um but for therapists you know let's say it's a group practice owner who's leading a group of you know 10 clinicians whose primary responsibility is to see clients how would you think about leadership in that kind of setting and what should our therapists be thinking about you hit upon a really key issue. Many people have probably heard about the Peter principle. You get promoted to your level of incompetence because <laughs> if you're a good engineer or a good clinician, you can see patients, you can solve problems, but then you get promoted and it's a very different nature of work. And that first level manager role, whether you're in a big corporation or you go from solo practitioner to now imagining a bunch of people, it's a completely different skill set. And it really comes down to, I'll give the engineering example. As an engineer, I had to solve a technical problem. As a manager, it wasn't on me to solve the problem. It was on me to get the team to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It can be very hard because my nature has always been, well, I, I can solve the problem faster than others. That's why I got this job. Yeah. So you need to step back and recognize if it's always you doing it, something's wrong. Managing yeah is about setting up processes and guidelines and ways to inspire and motivate and create systems to let other people do what the organization needs. And also means you don't have to have all the answers, but you have to find a way to let the team get the answer. I think that's huge. That last piece, you know, I, it took me a long time to work through some of my own kind of superhero syndrome, right? Again, of, of, I, I can do a lot of things, whether it's build my own website or I could do my bookkeeping or I could do all these things. But um, that piece of like hiring people that are smarter than you, or at least people that are smarter than you and have a really deep knowledge about something. So for instance, I know more about SEO than most therapists. I used to run a marketing company, right? It's like I've, we've done it for hundreds of therapists and all this stuff. I have a course on it. But then I go, you know, for this, when I opened this practice here in San Francisco, um, uh, I, I wanted to hire a, truly an expert, right? Someone who just eats, sleeps, and breathes SEO and can do it at such a high level that they're doing it for big international companies and all that stuff. And, and, and I can learn from them, right? And I can also just trust that if I give them the vision, which is to grow our rankings for trauma and EMDR type phrases in San Francisco, then they can go do that, right? And they know so much more about it th th than I do. But being able to 
make that handoff to outsource effectively and to in our case you know really hiring vendors usually versus like trying to build an internal marketing team most of our practices aren't big enough to really do that or need that but those people that are doing that high level expert thing for a bunch of other companies like mine is um is appealing and ultimately you kind of get what you pay for in that way when you find those people that that have that depth of knowledge and something you can do i think you're right trying to build it in-house often isn't cost effective now finding a vendor one challenge could be all right i'm getting an seo person and this person might have done SEO for some consumer drink company mm-hmm. or some entertainment group. And now I want them to do it for me. And there's just subtleties in every industry. Totally. You can find peers, other therapists, whether in your area, but maybe specializing in a different field. They're not mm-hmm. direct competitors. Or maybe they are. But if you're a marriage counselor, you're probably focused locally. And a marriage counselor in another state isn't a competitor. If you can find other people with needs and you all come together and say, well, the five of us each need help with SEO, then you can find someone together. You can probably get a better rate because Mm -hmm. you're offering a larger package. The person, the service provider recognizes there's some scale here. Once I figure out what are the keywords, it's going to be kind of the same keywords Mm -hmm. everywhere. And so you can look and work with other people and get some benefits of acting like a larger system but still being an independent. So you're working like a Koretsu and getting some of those benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, years ago I ended up, I fell into doing something like that where we needed an intake coordinator for the practice who answers the phone. And now um, if, if you hire someone who's has a ton of customer service background, they, they won't necessarily do a good job with this because answering the phone for a therapy practice is so unique in particular. And you almost, you need to be very therapeutic. You have people that are in crisis that are in pain that might start crying on the phone. And if you act overly customer servicey, it's horrible when people can tell and you're reading from a script. And so I eventually had trained, you know, someone who became the intake coordinator and then she built an entire business from it and started doing it for other practices remotely. And, you know, in this kind of remote world that we're in, you can have vendors like that that are really good. And in this case, really niche and does that one task, you know, for 10 other therapy practices and does it all day. Um, The temptation is always to throw more stuff at her, which again diffuses her effectiveness. And actually over some years of doing it, she, you know, decided and got clarity that all like, what I do is just the intake coordination piece. So I don't also do a little bit of billing or a little bit of verifying your insurance or this and that, right? Because again, it, it diffuses her effectiveness and her expertise in that because she's gotten so good at that piece. So I, I think, you know, um, that 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 idea of just focus really matters too and getting people that are fully doing what they're, they're best at and what they love for for your team or your business. And if you've got this group, one of you might have a great intake coordinator, someone else has a great billing person, someone else a great SEO yeah. person. And you can all let them specialize and you all get the volume benefit with mm-hmm. little search costs because they're coming from your network. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, we've got just a few minutes left here, Mark. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. It's been very interesting. I, I mean, you clearly think very, very deeply about, uh, about this stuff. Um, I guess, what do you feel like is missing from the conversation? What do you want to make sure our audience hears from you today? And then, of course, um, you know, how can they learn more about you and, and, um, and what you offer between books, the app, et cetera? To your first question, it's important to recognize therapy 
that's your key skill set, but that's only part of what you do. And you do have to round yourself in these other areas, whether you do it yourself or know how to find other people. Look to other people. You might be by yourself in your practice, but you can learn. And not just from peers, not just from other therapists when you're part of mastermind groups like yours, but even look at what a small coffee shop does for their SEO. Mm -hmm. Look at what a dental practice does for their customer retention. Look at different ideas, even from different fields, because there are some fundamentals. Maybe put half of your focus on one specific to your field, but also explore other fields to get some outside ideas. To your second question, people can learn more about me on my websites. The first one is thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can see where to buy the book, Amazon, mm -hmm. elsewhere. There's a number of free resources on there. If you go to the resources page, you can download stuff. It's all free. Other than the book, I give away stuff for free. There's also, I put out articles each week. And then the other site is brainbumpapp.com. And on that site, you can learn about the BrainBump app. It has links to take you to the Android and iPhone stores where you can download for free. And then you can add whatever content you want. It's all completely free. And that will help you retain, whether it's my book or other things that you read and hear. So the careertoolkitbook.com and brainbumpapp.com. Fantastic. Um, Mark, thanks again for being here. Really interesting stuff and, and really a pretty different episode for us. I mean, you, you bring in a really unique uh, uh, background and skill set and just a really unique way of, of kind of seeing things. So I really appreciate that perspective. And um, yeah, it's been great, great to have you. So thank you again um, to the folks listening. We'll, of course, put links to everything in the description here. Uh, we're live on YouTube right now. And then um, this will be available on all podcast platforms uh, tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that, whatever preference you have for for content. Uh, so yeah, thanks again for, for being here, Mark. And um, yeah, for the listeners, we will uh, see you again in a week. We've got a solo episode coming up this time next week, and it will be live on uh, YouTube, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And I have a very special announcement for you guys, a big update about the work I'm doing here at Private Practice Workshops. So uh, Mark, thanks again, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me.